listening to Haunakan Podcast, highlighting citizen Potawatomi Nation issues, members, and more. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Paige Willett. Today, we're talking about art created by tribal members, a stop-motion animator, and a painter who mixes foundations of Native American art with eclecticism. And we'll also hear about the similarities and differences between bald and golden eagles from a CPN Eagle Aviary staff member. Oklahoma native and CPN member Stuart Sampson finds inspiration for his paintings in the feel and composition of everything from Potawatomi artifacts to post-impressionism. The Hanukkahs' Mary Bell Zook discussed his artistic style, heritage, and new works over coffee at Oklahoma City's The Red Cup. Let's start out with your background and how you got started in art. You know, it's funny because I was, I've, I've always loved art and uh, at an early age, loved to draw, loved to, you know, use markers and that sort of thing. And uh, really I've had no training as far as, as art, art school or anything like that. It was all just a love for painting. And so I think I've always had that passion for art and that love for it. Um, really my painting kind of started over a couple of years ago. Um, when I was just not really happy with what I was doing as far as career was concerned and uh, kind of turned to my art. It's always been a happy place for me, always somewhere that I go and, and you know, express my feelings and emotions that way. So what is your creative process like? You know, I'll, I'll always start with a piece of wood. I use uh, mostly birch wood, um, but I've used oak and, you know, pine and that sort of thing. But I'll start off with a piece of wood and stain it. And then from the staining process, I'll draw uh, my image out. And then from there, um, I will obviously paint it. I always work from photographs, or usually work from photographs, and I can kind of doctor them up the way I want to. But I, I don't really ever have a plan as far as when I start a piece of how it's going to end up. Um, it just kind of happens organically. And I think that's just that's a part of art that I love so much is, you know, you start with an idea, and at the end, it might be totally different than the one you started with. So um, that's just kind of how it works for me. So a lot of your art focuses on Native American imagery. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about why you decided to focus on that? It all comes from my grandfather, and uh, he was very passionate about his heritage. You know, I think growing up, I just seeing, you know, paintings and stuff in his house, just, just different kind of artifacts and things like that, I, it just kind of sparked my curiosity. You know, later in life, I, I started doing research and, and just really have always loved the imagery and um, the culture. Um, obviously, family is really important in the culture, and so I think that's what sparked me to just have a love for it. Well, speaking about family, what Potawatomi family are you from? Uh, from Charles Greenmore and Ruth Greenmore, I believe. Well, what would you say has been your biggest accomplishment? My biggest accomplishment, you know, is just, it's just selling works. I don't think I've had one, one moment. Really, last year was the first year I started putting my work out there. And since then, I've uh, had a solo show uh, with the Chickasaw Nation, and uh, I'm showing my work here in Oklahoma City at, at a gallery, the Howe Gallery. And so I, so I would say those two things, being able to find an outlet to sell my work has, has been a, a really big accomplishment. I've really been lucky, honestly, to have people support me and people who love my art you know, just as much as I love painting. So I'd say those are probably my biggest accomplishments. 
So one of the pieces that you brought by for us to look at is a wood piece that you've carved mm -hmm. a uh, headdress on, a, right. a, a man wearing a headdress. Can you talk a little bit about that process? Because that seems a little bit different than what you normally do. Yeah, it is, it is. Um, I had kind of toyed with the idea of using a Dremel, which is a rotary tool. And I, I had used it on a piece uh, a while back and I had done some crosses in the background and really thought it was a cool look. So I wanted to kind of expand on that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think art is all trial and error. I didn't know how it was going to come out. I had no idea uh, of the process. And so I drew my image out. It's more of a graphic image. I, I, I'm really uh, detail-oriented in my painting. With this one, it was, it was really new, um, really messy. There's <laughs> a lot of sawdust in the air. But I think the end process, I, I'm really happy with it. And I'm, I've done a couple more since then. And so I think it's something that I'll probably keep doing. But, you know, I, I think as an artist, you kind of get bored with doing the same thing. So it's just finding new outlets and finding new mediums to express yourself is, is what I enjoy about it. So what kind of paint do you normally use? Acrylic, oil? Mostly acrylics. Um, I have done some oil work. Uh, I'm not as familiar with oils as I am acrylic. I just prefer acrylic more, just it dries faster. It's just easier to work with, personally. So you were speaking earlier about going to Red Earth Festival. Can mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about what's happened in the past for you at Red Earth and what you're expecting this year? Yeah, Red Earth last year was my very first year and really my first show I've ever done. And I can remember just being extremely nervous. I was, I was really nervous about putting my work out there and having other people you know, judge it and that sort of thing. And it couldn't have been a better experience from all the other artists that were there, um, very supportive, very helpful, and you know, helping me get into different shows and that sort of thing. I took 14 pieces and sold 11, which was amazing for me, and uh, really excited to go back this year and show my work. What are you hoping that you can accomplish in the future? What's your biggest goal that you'd like to do with your art? And my biggest goal is just to become a full-time artist. I, I'd taken some time off of work this summer and, and really enjoyed touring and, and getting to see you know new places and showing my artwork so I think being able to provide for my family as an artist would be the ultimate goal for me. I think in life when you find your passion it's not work at all. So I've seen on your Instagram that you have actually painted some Potawatomi chiefs. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about where you went to find those images and how you kind of decided to paint them? Um, I did. I did uh, Chief Abram Burnett. One of my friends it's his great, great, great grandfather. And he had me commission that piece. And he had an image um, at his house that had been in the family for years. And so I, that's what I had used. Well, does creativity run in your family then? You know, it does, it does. My dad, I can remember when I was younger, he would you know, have a painting here and there or he'd draw and stuff like that. Uh, my mom's a seamstress and uh, her house is immaculate. So I think I've had that kind of eye of art, if you want to say that. My sister is a musician and uh, my dad plays guitar as well. So yeah, I think it does run in our family quite a bit. I'm really fortunate. Well, I notice you like to utilize bright, kind of vibrant colors. I think my palette is a lot different than a you know traditional Native American piece. I'm a big T.C. Cannon fan uh, and I think he was very known for his bold color palettes. Um, I love Van Gogh and so I think you see a lot of those you know, vibrant colors coming out in my works as well. I don't know if I plan on that. It's just something that kind of happens. I think it works well, you know, with, with a, a neutral background as far as the wood. I stain all my wood. Recently started using a new process using fabric dye um, to 
give some more color to that piece of wood. I think I got bored with seeing browns and grays all the time. The first piece I ever did is in my garage and it's, it's not very good, but it's where it all started. And I think, you know, you look at some of my latest pieces, it's, it's really cool to see the, the progression. Mm -hmm. Well, outside of Native American art, what are some other pieces that you've just really loved to be able to create? Um, I'm a big golfer. I love golf. I've done some, uh, I did an Arnold Palmer piece that I was really excited about. Obviously a big Thunder fan. I played basketball growing up, so I've done a couple of Russell Westbrook, uh, Stephen Adams stuff. It's made me a better artist. It's kind of stepping outside the box, so to speak. Native American imagery is my favorite and it's something that I'll always love, but it, it is nice to have a different perspective, a different uh, challenge uh, every once in a while. I've appreciated being able to talk to you and get to know you a little bit better. It's just really cool to see you grow as an artist. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me out. It's great getting to talk to you. You can browse Stuart Sampson's catalog at stuartsampsonart.com. That's S-T-U-A-R-T-S-A-M-P-S-O-N-Art.com. The bald eagle is revered in North America both as the national animal of the United States and by Native American tribes as a warrior and messenger. However, indigenous people across the continent feel a connection to different kinds of eagles, including the golden eagle. The citizen Potawatomi Nation Eagle Aviary houses bald and golden eagles that either need medical treatment or are permanently disabled. Currently, 13 bald eagles and two golden eagles live at the aviary. Manager Jennifer Randell sat down with Hanukkah Podcast to discuss the similarities and differences between the two species. She started with the most discernible way to tell the two apart, their looks. So when they're a juvenile bald eagle, they can look very similar to a golden eagle, which is all kind of chocolatey brown, um, except for their first year. So a first year golden eagle is going to have some white in its tail, um, in the very base of its tail, not like our bald eagle. So that is the most noticeable difference when they're adults. Um, but like I said, juvenile can be very similar in those first about three or four years. And the way you tell if they've reached that maturity is that full white head and white tail. That first year, they're going to be completely chocolate brown, which gives them completely great camouflage against a tree trunk. So that is, you know, in theory, why they don't have that white head and white tail starting out. So like I said, it can be anywhere from four to six years. Some of them you'll still see a little bit of dark even into adulthood, and some of them keep that. Just like people are different, each one is a little different, um, you know, feathers, and, and so some of them will keep a little dark streak in their head but definitely have a full white head and white tail when they're mature. The beaks, actually the bald eagle beak is much larger than the golden eagle. So the golden eagles have a little bit narrower, smaller beak, and it's also gonna stay black. So your, your bald eagle, it's gonna be black when it's juvenile. We talked about how they're dark when they're young. It's gonna turn golden. So the bald eagle goes through an incredible transformation. Their beak, um, their feathers, their eye color, all that changes for the bald eagle. And their eyes are very dark when they're young, and it, it kind of helps that camouflage we talked about. And as they get older, older they'll actually get very light and, and a golden in color. So they're going to be really light-eyed when they're adults, kind of to match their beak. And then the golden eagle, their eyes doesn't change as much, but it's going to lighten up just a hair, but it's going to always be stay darker. It's going to be a really nice, dark brown, kind of amber color, so that's a little bit different. Um, bald eagles are going to have a lighter eye color when they're adults. They also both belong to two different avian families, one living off the land and the other off the water. Their methods of processing the world around them also lead to different personality types. So our bald eagle, um, are main, you're mainly going to find it around rivers and lakes and a water source because their main diet would be fish. 
uh, fish and, and things you're going to find around water, turtles even. But our golden eagles, they don't eat fish. They're going to eat mammals. So they're going to see them in open prairies and open land like that. And also the um, big difference is the, where they nest also. So that's a, that's a difference too. But the, the, So the eagle, the bald eagle is in the fish family. And the golden eagle is in what they call uh, the Aquila family. And that is uh, like a booted eagle. So they're actually more close related to a hawk. And your bald eagle is kind of close related to a kite. Your bald eagles do not have feathered legs, um, but the golden eagle is going to have those feathers all the way to the top of their feet. And so the bald eagles we mentioned hunts fish and spend a lot of time in the water. Well, the golden eagles eat things that will bite them also, like foxes and snakes and things like that. So those feathers actually help protect them. But that is a, a really great fact to bring, bring up that you can see that. You know, if they're standing, you can really see those very well. And also on the golden eagle, they have a really distinct ridge above their eyes. And we kind of like to say that's their built-in sun visors because we talked about them being an open prairie. And the bald eagle is not going to have that definite, you know, ridge above their brow. If you kind of were to think about what you take to go fishing, a fishing pole, that gear, and what you take to go elk, elk hunting. So that's your kind of difference. I'm not trying to say one's smarter than the other. It's just a different way they kind of work things out and think about things. So yeah, the bald eagles are a little bit more um, jumpy, a little more nervous usually. And the golden eagles will actually hunt cooperatively, which our bald eagles don't. So they'll hunt in groups and can take down pretty large prey like small deer and antelope. Those differences in avian families and hunting lead to varying nesting practices. However, they have some similarities about raising their young too. The golden eagle likes to nest on sides of cliffs, sides of mountains, not so much in trees, but our bald eagles, as many of you know, will nest right on the top of a tree, 20 or 30 feet up. So that also determines where they spend most of their time. Hence the bald eagle, like we talked about, around water. They'll be in a big tree next to a body of water. They've got a good food source. The golden eagle is going to be on the open prairie on the side of a cliff or a mountain. So all of our eagles are very communal and social unless it comes to the nesting grounds and nesting time. So when food sources are good and it's not nesting, um, you know, it's the off season, you'll see hundreds of eagles together together eating, bald and golden eagles. And both our bald eagles and golden eagles will eat carrion. So you'll actually see them eating together sometimes on like carrion, things like that. Uh, nobody's going to pass up a free meal, especially in winter. They will defend their nest um, sometimes to the death to another eagle. They usually lay two to three eggs, and that's the same with the golden bald eagles, but the biggest difference is the incubation time. So a bald eagle is going to hatch, their eggs are going to hatch in about 35 days or so, 35, 36. A golden eagle goes 40 to 45 days. So it's quite a big difference, um, and they both will stair-step their eggs as far as laying them. So you might have a, an eaglet hatch one day and it be a couple of days later and have another one. So, And that kind of helps that... Uh, First eagle can get a little bit of food and, and, you know, so if they have three eggs and three hatch, we've seen actually three survive and, and leave the nest, so that's exciting. Generally, if they choose a mate and mate for life, if one perishes or passes away, they won't choose another one. So they're very committed to, to one eagle. And the fantastic thing is eagles have a built-in GPS. So in my mind, I always thought they spent all the time together, you know, because you see them together when they're nesting. They do not. So about half the year, six months out of the year, they're in other states, other parts of the you know, United States. And then their built-in GPS brings them back together within two weeks of each other to nest every year. So that's probably how they mate for life, because they spend half the year apart, right? <laughs> The CPN Eagle Aviary helps with conservation efforts and works daily to ensure these honored birds continue to thrive. Golden eagles live around the globe. However, the bald eagle is the only eagle found solely in North America where there are approximately three times as many bald eagles as golden eagles. And we're a Great Lakes tribe, 
uh, originally from the Great Lakes, so we would be around more bald eagles. So a lot of our, like the Zuni tribe in New Mexico, takes more of the golden eagles, but there's just not as many golden eagles that, are, that need placement, that need help. Um, and unfortunately, some of that's because of where they hunt and where they live, they're not found as often. We all know, many of us out there have seen bald eagles right by the lake where, you know, have a boat out on or fishing right by town. So in Oklahoma, uh, people are familiar with the Wichita Mountains. There used to be nesting pairs of golden eagles there, but just too much foot traffic. Um, so unfortunately, sometimes, you know, we, we can coexist some, a little bit, but sometimes not so much. So we try to help that in, in ways of conservation and things too. If some eagles don't nest for nine or 10 years, and they only lay two eggs, it doesn't take long if something's happening with them for them to, you know, their numbers to get so low that they're almost uh, extinct. In our state of Oklahoma, just to kind of give you an idea, there were zero eagles in our state of Oklahoma in the 70s and early 80s, not one. And now there's over 300 nesting pairs just in our state. So how fantastic is it they've made such a comeback. And our bald eagles are in every state except for Hawaii. Great news, they're still of course protected, but off the endangered list and doing very well. The construction of the CPN Eagle Aviary was funded in part by a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service grant. Aviary tours are available by appointment only. For more information, visit PottawatomieHeritage.com or email aviary at Potawatomi.org. That's aviary at P-O-T-A-W-A-T-O-M-I dot O-R-G. Puppetry, installation exhibits, painting, and set design are only a few skills of artist Nicole Emmons. However, stop-motion animation is one of the highlights of the Citizen Potawatomi Nation tribal members' filmography. It's a style of filmmaking where meticulously moving the subject matter a tiny bit at a time and photographing single frames creates the appearance of movement. I got the chance to interview her about her ancestry, inspiration, and thoughts on art. I really enjoy stop motion because it incorporates all kinds of art. You can do sculpture, drawings, storytelling, just the artistry of filmmaking. I really enjoy directing and just creating my own worlds that I can bring to life through stop motion. And I also really enjoy stop motion because you can have control over all aspects. Experimental filmmaker Nicole Emmons has cultivated a varied career. Adult Swim's animated sketch comedy show Robot Chicken and feature film Helen Back starring comedian Nick Swartzen and actress Mila Kunis highlight Emmons's resume. Her credits also include commercials, music videos, and low-budget features. I think I've always been an artist since I was a little kid. I've always been just drawing. We had a cookbook cover contest when I was in first grade and I won that. Like I, I'm not the best illustrator but I just really enjoy creating. I enjoy drawing. I enjoy painting and making objects and sculpting and um, I just enjoy creating. She grew up in Oklahoma near Citizen Potawatomi Nation headquarters. A few years ago she moved back to Oklahoma after living in New York City and Los Angeles. She is an adjunct faculty member at the Oklahoma City Museum of Art and teaches at other educational institutions. She focuses on expression and communication as important functions of art. My favorite thing is to work with young artists and, and pull that magical piece out of them, like be able to pull uh, whatever you know is in their heart out of them and encourage them to do that and give them just the tools and the support and the confidence to be able to make something on their own. It's really fulfilling. 
With the help of a tribal scholarship, Emmons graduated in 1998 from Columbia College Chicago in Illinois. With a bachelor's in animation and film, she followed her filmmaking passions to New York City. She made industry contacts and joined a women in animation group. Nickelodeon hired her to do digital layout as part of its animation department in 1999, and she worked there for two years. So I decided I really wanted to be more hands-on, and I also wanted to get back to being on set. Stop motion is a really hands-on creative process, and I enjoy that over computer. Emmons took steps to make stop motion her priority after several years of working on lighting and camera crews. She applied for a prestigious fellowship at the California Institute of the Arts in Valencia, California, earning her master's in 2010. She worked for Cartoon Network in Los Angeles before moving back to Oklahoma, where opportunities flourished. A local director in town contacted me, Kyle Roberts, and he has done some work with uh, Mattel, and he's going to be doing stuff with DreamWorks. And he contacted me because I do stop motion and invited me to work on a Thomas the Train project. Emmons contributes to major installations, is a member of an art collective, and adds to her portfolio while participating in Oklahoma City's thriving art scene. Teaching and collaborating remain her focal points. Her style is whimsical and surrealistic, incorporating themes such as feminism and her Native American ancestry. One thing I would really like to do is get involved with telling Native stories using the skills that I have gained over my lifetime to really tell some stories of the people that are already here. I'm trying to reach out to other Native artists and start working with them. The Oklahoma landscape and Native ideology inspire Emmons. She is a member of Oklahoma City's Factory Obscura Artist Collective, which created an installation exhibit titled Shift in 2017. As part of the team, one of two towers she created highlighted the effects of wind farms on migratory bird flight paths and populations. We just really need to think harder about the connectivity of animals and mankind and just be more respectful of the planet that we're on and all of its inhabitants because we're only one of those. She is a descendant of the Malo, View, and Navarre families and prioritizes deepening the connection to her Potawatomi heritage. Her grandfather, Alvin Malo, turned 99 in 2018, making her consider the past century of her family history. When he was young, being Outspoken as a Native American was kind of frowned upon in his small community in Tecumseh. But as he got older, his family gained more pride in their tribal heritage. And so by the time I came around, they were very much proud of their heritage. And it was something we definitely talked about all the time. Two generations later, Emmons keeps the conversation going through her work and by teaching artists how to tell their stories, too. For more of Emmons's work, visit NicoleEmmons.com. N-I-C-O-L-E-E-M-M-O-N-S dot com. Hanukkah Podcast is produced and brought to you by the Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Public Information Department. Our director is Jennifer Bell. The theme music is written and performed by Marsha Bindo. You can visit us on the web and find digital editions of the tribal newspaper at Potawatomi.org. That's P-O-T-A-W-A-T-O-M-I dot O-R-G. We're on Facebook at Citizen Potawatomi Nation and on Twitter at C underscore P underscore N. Until next time, I'm Paige Willett. Miigwech Nikanek, Bamamina. Thank you, friends. See you later. <laughs>